Hey there, I'm Krista, your host for the Birding Tools Podcast. Each week, I'll delve into the wonderful world of birds for birding beginners and those wanting to get the lowdown on what goes into bird watching and identifying birds. Let's get started. First, I wanted to let you know that I have a new free audio mini series course detailing the basics of getting started with birding. Over five days with audio straight to your inbox, you'll learn how to select and use a pair of binoculars, get acquainted with the setup of your bird field guide, download your local area's bird checklist, learn the five keys to bird identification, and get insights on how to connect with the birding community. No matter if you're just starting out or you want to freshen up on some of these topics, the series is for you. To get this free audio course, just visit the podcast show notes at birdingtools.com or visit the birdingtools.com homepage. This week on the Birding Tools podcast, I am taking on some of the biggest struggles birders have with identifying birds, which I've taken from my own experiences and from insights other birders have shared with me. If you're looking to enhance your bird ID skills, this episode is for you. When we talk about the most common bird identification struggles, it's important to first mention what the keys to bird identification are, because these are what we're going to turn to when we want to get answers about how to solve or work through some of the identification struggles we might be having. So let's recap those keys to bird ID. They are size and shape, so the overall size of the bird, and the size and shape of the individual parts of the bird, the colors and patterns on the bird, behaviors the bird exhibits, such as posture, foraging, and flight behaviors, habitat and distribution, or local habitat and regional or global distribution, and how those birds are found in those locations seasonally, and sound, or the songs, calls, and other oral noises they might make. So those are the five keys to bird ID, and remember, these aren't novel things that I'm listing out here. Anytime you look in your field guide or bird phone identification app, these are features that will pop up when you're looking at and working on a bird's identification. I also have a free downloadable guide to learn more about these five keys to bird ID, which I'll be linking to in the podcast show notes at birdingtools.com. There are five struggles that I'm diving into today, and these are more general identification issues. You might have really specific challenges that you're having with bird ID, like trying to differentiate between a downy and hairy woodpecker since they're pretty similar looking and their call notes are pretty similar, or maybe confusing birds that are all red. So in Eastern North America, you might confuse the male Northern Cardinal with the male Summer Tanager because they're both an overall red color. Of course, there are individual features about each of these birds that helps to tell them apart, but at first glance, these can be easily confused with each other based on their colors alone. So these are really specific things to work through, and nearly every birder is working through some kind of struggle identifying between individual species. I mean, I know I am. I just moved back to the U.S. a handful of months ago, and I've had to relearn the difference between, for example, a house finch and a purple finch because they're pretty similar looking, and they both hang out around my feeder. They're in the same family of birds, but cluing in on their different sounds and the colors and patterns has helped me a lot with this. The struggles that I'll be talking about today are different things that you might have struggled with in the past, are currently working through, or maybe you haven't yet had to deal with them, in which case I hope the information I give you in this episode will help you work through it once you get to that point in your birding journey. So first, one of the most common issues birders have mentioned having a really hard time with while working on identifying a bird in the field is when a bird is backlit. 
You'll get a backlit bird when the bird is between you and a light source, whether that's the sun or just a really bright sky, or the conditions outside facilitate this setting, where the sky is overcast but still kind of bright since the sun is filtering through those overcast clouds. Instead of seeing the individual colors and patterns on the bird, you're likely to see just the silhouette of the bird. In fact, even if you can see some patterns on a backlit bird, those colors can sometimes look distorted and we may not be able to differentiate colors altogether. If we take birds with blue feathers, for example, all birds with blue feathers have structural coloration, which means they're only produced when light enters the feather and refracts through the feather to appear blue to our eyes. When a bird is backlit, you're not really going to see those colors as vividly, if at all. There isn't a whole lot that you can do to prevent these kinds of conditions because it's really about the time of day and the overall brightness outside. Now, if you can, try to see if you can get to the other side of the bird so that you're between it and the light source, and instead the light is shining on the bird. But of course, you'll need to do this without scaring the bird off, without trampling on a habitat you shouldn't be trampling on, and assuming you can access the other side or see the bird on the other side of wherever that bird is located. A lot of times this silhouette issue really comes into play for birds in flight where they're flying by at a really quick speed and you don't have time to move to a different location to get a better angle on that bird. It's also important, I think, to note that it doesn't really matter how good of glass you have with your scope or binoculars if you're looking into the sun or another light source. Ultimately, that bird is going to be backlit no matter what and no matter how much light is allowed to come into whatever birding tool you're using. For this particular scenario where we really can't rely on being able to use colors and patterns as a way to make an identification, or at least narrow down the family or species we're looking at, we're going to have to rely heavily on the four other keys to bird ID, such as size and shape and habitat and distribution. For size and shape, every family group has an overall size and shape of the individual species within that family. For example, if you're looking at a silhouette of a woodpecker, and I really like to use woodpeckers as an example for silhouettes because they're really obvious, you've got a bird clinging to the side of a tree with zygodactyl feet or where their two toes face forward and two face backward, a long, sharp pointed bill for drilling or drumming, and tail feathers that have a pointed end to aid in their stabilization while drumming on the side of a tree. For the behavior key to ID, if you saw something backlit, but it was clinging to the side of a tree or making sort of a seesaw motion while working its way up a tree, you can narrow down those options pretty well. There are a couple of other species and other family groups that exhibit this behavior, like tree creepers and nut hatches, but again, it's a pretty unique behavioral trait for birds. You can also look at where the bird is located, so the kind of habitat that it's in, and evaluate the species you might be seeing in that habitat. If the bird's making sounds, and this is an advanced way of being able to identify birds, so it's fine if you don't want to consider sounds just yet, but you can pull up a bird app on your phone, like the Merlin Bird ID app, and listen to the sounds the birds might make that you think you're seeing and compare it with the sounds that the bird is actually making in the field. So these are some of the components that you can look at to get an identification of a bird, even if you can't actually see the color and pattern details on that bird. If a bird's flying by really quickly and you're not able to get a good look at the bird, sometimes you just aren't able to get a good ID and that's okay too. Sometimes that just happens. But there are some workarounds that you can use to utilize the other keys to ID to help with determining which bird you're seeing. 
The next bird ID struggle that birders mention having trouble with in regards to identifying birds is actually second-guessing themselves on which bird they think they're seeing. This really seems to hang people up because there's a self-confidence thing that comes into play in the process of IDing birds, and I think it's okay to second-guess yourself sometimes, but don't do it so much that you're worried about claiming a bird's correct ID. I do think this kind of comes with practice and feeling confident in what you're looking at. But if you're running through the five keys to bird ID and you're coming up with a particular species, it's pretty likely it's that bird. Are you looking at the size and shape of the bird? What about the colors and patterns, the distribution, and individual behaviors the bird is exhibiting in the field? Are you listening to its calls or songs and able to compare those sounds with what you're seeing and hearing? Then it's probably the bird you think it is. And for the sounds portion, once you get to that part in your birding journey, if you're hearing a bird's song, it's a pretty good bet that you're IDing that bird correctly. Of course, we've got mimickers and sometimes birds just make weird noises, but overall, I think this is true. Remember that these are just guidelines and not hard and fast rules overall. You're using your deduction skills based on what you know about bird identification and applying them to the bird you think you're seeing in the field. It's always beneficial to say, hmm, okay, what could I be confusing this bird with? And then evaluate what it is that's making you second guess yourself. A lot of times people second guess themselves because, well, bird ID is just hard for one, but also the distribution factor in potentially rare birds also can hang people up. If you're seeing a bird that isn't supposed to be where you are, you may be thinking to yourself, gosh, it can't be that bird because they aren't supposed to be here. But I've also talked about this once or twice now on the podcast. I was finally able to drive an hour north of me and see the vermilion flycatcher that's overwintering up here in Northern California, way out of its species normal range. And apparently this individual has been overwintering in this area for around five or six years now. And it just hangs out with Phoebes and other flycatchers. But if I look at a range map, they really aren't supposed to be in this area. Of course, there's no denying what this beautiful bird was, not only because eBird reports told me others had also seen it and reported it, but because the males of this species are pretty unmistakable. The vermilion also does its sallying behavior like other flycatchers, that's S-A-L-L-Y-I-N-G, sallying, which is where they perch on a branch or another object, fly out to a bug to catch mid-air, and then go back to land, usually on that same spot that they were sitting in before. If I was just going based off of distribution, I might be thinking, okay, it can't be that bird, but go based off of other key ID factors. You might be seeing a rarity, and you could be the first one, but check the eBird app and rare bird alerts to verify whether other birders might also have seen or reported that bird too. I think the trouble is that you can convince yourself you're seeing something you might not be seeing, which you want to avoid. But you can avoid that by using these definitive factors in bird ID. Overall, be confident in the knowledge that you can utilize these keys to bird ID to your best advantage to determine a bird's identification or at least narrow down the possible birds you could be seeing and take notes on it to then reference it in your guide later or with a friend or mentor who might be able to help guide you. These identification struggles are also mightied a bit by juvenile wintering and molting plumages, which is the next most common bird ID issue that birders have mentioned having a hard time with. Juveniles and wintering plumage often end up being really different from what we often see or think of for certain species' adult coloration or patterns, so it can be a challenge to learn those. 
This isn't much different from the same things we discussed for the backlighting issue, where we can't necessarily rely on color and pattern to give us an identification if that's what's hanging us up. You can still look at size and shape, behavior, habitat and distribution, and sounds, and there might even be some colors that carry over into these various plumages that you can compare to adult plumages or other year-round characteristics like maybe leg color or bill color. You can still also look at the patterns and colors, even if they are different washes of more neutral colors. For these different molt patterns, juvenile plumages, or overwintering plumages, if you've got a host of other neutral colors scattered around the bird, it can be kind of hard to decide where exactly to look. Start from the head and work your way down to the tail. So note whether it has a eyebrow or a eye ring and then work your way down to the wings, see if it maybe has wing bars that are really distinctive, then down to the tail and anywhere else on the body where there might be really obvious neutral colors standing out. Then once you go back and reference your field guide, these particular features on the bird will be more obvious when you go to make your identification. The next bird ID struggle that is really common among birders is achieving a species level ID once you've narrowed down to a certain family or subset of birds. One of the first bird families that comes to mind for this is flycatchers, since they're pretty hard to ID even when you have optimal conditions for looking at them, and often you're just hoping for them to make a noise for it to give itself away. If you've narrowed the bird down to a particular family but don't know which species it is within that family group, then guess what? You're already doing a great job because you've narrowed it down even further than the maybe 100 other birds in your area. From here, you can look at the size and shape of the individual parts of the different species of birds within that family. If we take woodpeckers as an example again, we can look at the overall size of the bird we're seeing to determine if it's a small woodpecker or a larger woodpecker. So maybe downy woodpecker size compared to pileated woodpecker size. You can also eliminate birds or narrow them down based on bill length too. If you're looking through your field guide and looking at the different woodpeckers in your area, you can see that there are specific characteristics that set them apart from each other. Then you'll move on again to color and pattern, and this is a big one for woodpeckers because they're pretty distinctive from each other in their patterning, except of course for the hairy and the downy that I mentioned earlier. But you can see which color hues they have, if they have barring or streaking on their back, and where the colors are distributed on their body. Geographic distribution is also really handy here because some woodpeckers might actually not even be found where you're located. For example, I don't have red-headed and red-bellied woodpeckers where I am, so I know that I can eliminate those as potential woodpecker species that I might be seeing in the field. These are all really helpful in achieving a species-level ID. Sometimes it takes a bird making a sound also for you to really know which species it is. So this allows us to transition nicely into the last struggle that I'm going to talk about today that birders have with bird identification, which is birding solely by ear. As I've mentioned a few times now, this is a really challenging way to identify birds, and it takes a little bit longer to learn. This is pretty difficult if you aren't practicing your bird sounds just as you'd practice a language. You have to do it often. I mentioned this earlier, but identifying birds by ear is definitely an advanced way to ID birds because you're not using those visual factors to aid in identification, and some birds really do sound kind of similar to each other in various ways. If you're looking to learn more about bird sounds, I talk about bird sounds and mnemonics with tips for birding by ear in episode 9 of the Birding Tools podcast, which I'll link to in the show notes for this episode. 
In it, I go into some mnemonics and memorization techniques to help you learn birds by ear, like recognizing birds that say their own name, like the common cuckoo, which says cuckoo, cuckoo, or birds that sing in phrases we can remember, like the Eastern Toey's drink your tea song. These are just some of the techniques you can use to learn birds in your area and start small, because if you try to learn too many at once, you're just going to get overwhelmed. Remember, when you're trying to learn a new language, you're only going to learn a few phrases or words first, then you're going to move on to some of the more complicated components of learning that language, like grammar. I recommend having a list of the common birds in your region or your local area and working through the sounds of those most common birds, then move on to family groups to practice with or other adjacent family groups. So for example, you can look at different kinds of sparrows in your area and listen to the different sounds that those sparrows make to compare their noises to each other, especially since their tones are going to be more similar to each other. Then you can compare their sounds to maybe finches, birds in the finch family, and so on and so on from there. What I love about learning birds by ear is that you don't necessarily have to get your binoculars on the bird to know that you've got a positive ID, unless of course you're working on life listing and you need to visually see the bird. So these five bird identification struggles seem to be some of the most common general issues that birders have mentioned to me. And these are all issues I've personally dealt with myself. Just remember that bird identification can be challenging, and there are a lot of bird species out there you could be confusing with each other. Just these last couple of weeks, I've been monitoring for gray-tailed grackles, and they were foraging with brewer's blackbirds, brown-headed cowbirds, red-winged blackbirds, and American crows. So all of these black-colored birds are hanging around together and kind of making similar noises, and that creates a really interesting opportunity to learn a variety of black-colored birds by sight and sound easier. I can look at individual components on each bird to help me differentiate them, like their size differences with the brown head of the cowbird or the white eyes of the great-tailed grackles and the brewer's blackbirds. And now that I've been listening to them all the last couple of weeks straight, I can really easily identify them and tell them apart, even their call notes. But this is really hard if you're just learning to identify birds on a species level. And keep in mind that I've been listening and watching these birds pretty much every day for the last couple of weeks. Again, bird ID can be hard, and that's okay. And honestly, that's sort of the fun part of the bird learning journey, getting to work through the different techniques that you can implement to keep learning new birds and progressing in your skills. And it's okay if you're not yet at this point in your birding journey, or if you're just wanting to go out and enjoy birds for their intrinsic value. For those working on bird ID, though, be gracious with yourself in the process. I mean, birds sometimes make funny sounds, their plumages change throughout the year, they decide to travel to a place they never were found before. All of these things combined make bird ID challenging. So the five keys to bird ID aren't hard and fast rules necessarily, but a good portion of the time, they're going to lead you in the right direction if you're looking to ID birds as part of your bird learning journey. Before I go, just know whatever you end up deciding to do in learning birds, just be kind to yourself in the process, work through the different keys to bird ID, work with your birding community or friends to keep working on that bird identification. And as a community, I think we really need to work on normalizing asking questions about bird identification too. If you're a seasoned birder, please don't discourage new birders from being curious and working on their birding skills. We have to get things wrong sometimes to learn and eventually get them right. The next time you see someone asking for a bird's ID, be kind to them, work through it with them, maybe walk them through the process of identifying a bird. 
If you're a new birder, that community really comes into play to establish that comfortability with being able to ask identification questions and talk through these different things with them. I certainly have those people in my life to send pictures and say, hey, can we talk through this identification together? I'm, of course, always happy for you to join me in my birding tools community. You can always message me on Instagram or Facebook at the handle at birding tools, or you can email me at hello at birdingtools.com, and I'd love to chat with you. I think that it's important for you in continuing your birding journey and continuing to ID different birds to have that sense of community, and I want to be able to provide that for you. I'm even still on this journey since there are plenty of North American species and others around the world that I haven't yet checked off my life list. To recap, we talked about using the five keys to bird ID to help us work through and answer five bird identification struggles that birders have had issues with and that they've let me know about, as well as the same issues that I've personally had in my bird learning journey. Those are determining the ID of a backlit bird, second guessing yourself in your bird identification, identifying birds in juvenile or winter plumage, getting a species level ID once you know the family of the bird, and knowing the identification of a bird by sound alone. Hopefully these points have helped you in your current journey or will help you in the future when you work more on your bird ID. So there you have it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Birding Tools podcast and I hope this material was helpful to you. To access information about the content I've mentioned in the show and the show notes, visit our website at birdingtools.com. You can follow Birding Tools on Instagram and Facebook at the handle at Birding Tools. And in case you didn't already know, I send out weekly emails detailing the content discussed on the podcast, along with some helpful, actionable tips and information. To get on my email list, simply visit the website or email me at hello at birdingtools.com. Next week, I'm sharing my tips for finding birds in the field by sight and sound and by paying more attention to the natural world around you. If you enjoyed this episode and want to get updates on the latest Birding Tools has to offer, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening now. See you next time.